Welcome to the Human and Technology Podcast. This podcast is for anyone who develops, distributes or uses technology. For all those who always have the feeling that technology overwhelms or dominates them. For everyone who wants to know how to deal with technology in everyday life. For anyone who wants to understand what technology does to us and how we can get our lives back. This podcast is for those who want to make technology sexy. All the product developers, designers, UX, UI professionals, product managers, CTOs and CEOs. And it is for you. My name is Dr. Peter Reska. My friends call me Dr. Peter. I am your host and I am happy that you are here. Those of you that uh, follow me on social media, particularly on LinkedIn, they will know that I use the hashtag make technology sexy for almost all of my posts. And I'm using that with the idea that I want to make technology sexy, which is basically the meaning of my existence. This is the, 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 the reason why I'm here on this earth, why I am active in my business, why I get active for, for my clients. So, yeah, make technology sexy. And at some point in time, there will be a separate episode about what it means, sexy technology. What, what is the meaning of, what, what is making technology sexy and what is it making unsexy? And there, there will be an episode. And the, the days will not be about that one in particular, but more about the uh, user experience thing, how to get there. And I mean, it's all about thinking about the development of technology, of HMIs, of creating positive user experiences. I had an episode with, uh, with the user experiences about how, what, what are positive user experience that we want to gain, I think, uh, six, seven, eight months ago. And there are things like trust, uh, like fun, like freedom. Uh, the, those are the user experiences, easiness, fulfillment in life. So, so those are user experiences that we can create with uh, technologies. And how do we do this? And there are several ways of describing how a user experience-centered, how a human-centric result can be achieved. And today um, I will talk about five different rules how to get this one done, how to reach a positive user experience in technology. And those five steps, uh, they are, first step, focus on humans focus on the user the second is it depends ux ui hmi development is always about context number three usability is unsexy but it is part of the user experience number four is a more process oriented uh, rule be focused but flexible Allow circular thinking and acting, but drill it down to a result. Number five is test, test, test. Do tests whenever you can with your products. 
So let's start with number one. Put humans, put the user, put the human into the center, into the focus of technology development. And there are several levels in that. And, and the, the, let's say, lowest level, the easiest level, the straightest, the most engineering-oriented, most physical level is the accessibility, the comprehensibility. I mean, how often have you sat in front of a household appliance, a new smart TV, a new kitchen machine, and wondered how does it work? How can I get it done? How can I program um, the, uh, the the kitchen machine in the way I want, or my smart home device uh, that I want? And uh, just a little story out of my, my private life. Uh, we bought a new TV set for my mother-in-law. The main reason was that the usability of the old one was so poor I mean, that the old lady had problems with that. Okay. But even me and my wife, we had problems in doing the basic things like programming a station list into this uh, TV set. And we, there was were just like a circular kind of process. You were always ending up at the same screen saying something stupid. Uh, I mean, that, that is hard to use. And I mean, that's the reason why we said, no, we're going to get a new one and uh, we'll never get any of the brand of the old one again. So probably there will be some business gone for, for the maker of, of um, that TV set. How often have you downloaded an app and first of all ask yourself, okay, what can I do with this? And the second thing is, how can I do it? Most of them or many of them are so hard to use, so inaccessible, that it is really, really hard. Or automobiles. I mean, all the basic stuff, the steering wheel, the paddles, uh, the gearboxes, the windscreen wipers, the indicators, all that is more or less standardized. There are slight differences in how to do things, for example, where the rear gear is, or where do I turn on the headlights, or is the windscreen wiper up or down if you turn it on. But basically all the let's say, car driving stuff, um, that, that is organized pretty well. If you go down to the air condition, or even worse, to the infotainment system, there it gets far more complex. Sometimes you just sit there and say, hey, how can I do this? I mean, I, mean, I need to drive this car, and in addition, I want to listen to some music or make a phone call with the infotainment system, uh, activate the navigation, and then... You have to work yourself into sometimes extremely complex menu structures. Just uh, one example, a few weeks ago when uh, I flew down to Palma de Mallorca in Spain, we got our rental car. It was a uh, compact class car of a Spanish-German automaker. And uh, the entire car, the dashboard, the HMI was in Spanish which is okay, I'm in Spain, I ran it in Spain, and uh, maybe the, the guy using it before me as, uh, as, uh, was Spanish, so no general issue with that. And, but I would like to change it. I would like, I mean, my Spanish is okay-ish, and I can live with it, but I prefer the German version. And it took me about all, all the way from, from, from the airport to my apartment, which is about 45 minutes drive. I couldn't get it done. The next day, my wife said, come on, I, I'm going to drive. You try to change the language of the, of, of the system. 
And at the end, I grabbed the handbook, which was in the glove box, and it was a huge handbook. And I thought, hey, cool, uh, if it's uh, so big, um, then there, it will be uh, an English or a German version. No, that was Spanish only. Tons of paper to describe the functions of that car in this handbook. And I mean... As I said, I speak a little Spanish and I found out where it was and then there was a button described here. You have to press this particular button, which was the main screen button, and then you can change the language. And I pressed that button and nothing happened. I mean, I was on the main screen, but I was not able, there was no menu point, nothing to change the language. And I was so deeply frustrated that in anger I pressed it again. And suddenly... I was in a submenu that allowed me changing the language. And then from there on, it was comparably easy. I turned it into German and, and, and that's it. Thing here is, I mean, there, there were many different buttons, or let's say a row of buttons for the main functions. And, and the main screen button was the only one. I tried all the others, but the main screen button was the only one with two functions on it. Pressing it once takes it to the main screen. Pressing it again takes you... To the to the to the settings menu, and I mean, an icon say with a little number two on it, or an icon with these slashes they had to describe uh, the main screen to to represent the main screen, plus maybe uh, a gear or yeah some some tool or something. I mean that would have indicated me okay there may be a second function I can press it twice to get there, but the way it is realized they really hinder me. To access this one, they they hide it. It's a hidden feature that uh, you have to press this button twice to get into into this uh, specific uh, submenu. So I mean, those are things I mean, we talk about. That's that's the lowest level things. Also like like fonts, like characters, like icons, all the structures, the menu trees, all the processes, dynamic parts of it. How do I type in a phone number? How do I switch between? media and navigation. How do I do all this? I mean, that is the basic part of user experience where you have to put the human into the focus of your technology development. We carry around our Stone Age genome with that. I mean, uh, it, it took evolution about four and a half billion years to uh, bring us to the point where we are And about 70,000 years ago, we had a cognitive revolution. Our brains exploded. The communication, we learned our language. We learned to speak and to listen. And our language became very complex. So complex communication became possible. And uh, then another, I mean, then uh, what many people believe, the happiest part of, the uh, happiest time of humankind started. But we were still living in an environment that was fitting with our genome on one side, but we're able to communicate. And we had a nomadic lifestyle at that time, hanging around in small groups of 25 to 50 people. It took us about, well, two, three, four hours per day to collect the food, the calories we needed to survive and to replicate. And... Yeah, that must have been a pretty happy life because most of the time we were hanging around in small rooms, chatting, talking, exchanging. And Well then, 10, 12,000 years ago, we gave up the nomadic lifestyle. We became farmers and fishers and we built houses, structures. And that was basically when history started, when technology development started. And 
since then, we constantly introduce new technologies into our lives. And all these technologies have a significant impact on our lives, on our perception, on the way we see and our cognition, uh, the, the way we, we treat others, the way we make trades, we make business. All this has changed constantly based on, on technology. And when we introduce this technology, and then we expose ourselves to these constant changes. And if we do this, I mean, we pay a high price for this on, on any level. Um, technology must make lives better, human lives better. Better by means of safer, faster, more focused, more successful, more fun, whatever. It needs to do something. So technology without value is junk. And so technology needs to have a value which is based on human needs, on human ideas, on the way we as humans are and, and want to be. So that, that, that is basically the second level um, I wanted uh, to mention here. And the third level is technology is more than just the, the artifact. So for example, old-timer cars, vintage cars. I mean, objectively, they are just old cars. And today's cars are safer, they are cleaner, they are less noisy, they are safer, faster, whatever. And under any aspect, modern cars are better than these cars from the 50s, 60s, 70s or 80s. But many, many, for many people, it is the dream of a lifetime to own one of these old cars. Say, yeah, I'm, I mean, represent myself. I want to, I feel like a better human when I have one of these old time cars. And it's their right to do this. And it's absolutely okay that it is like this. But it shows that, that the technology is more than just the artifact. Another point, I mean, smartphones are certainly very useful devices. And many everyday problems can be solved easily. One example, I meet uh, some of uh, two, two of my high school friends um, three, four times a year. And one of these guys is totally against smartphones. He's not owning one. He never wants to own one. He, yeah, he's definitely negative on smartphones. And we came into, into the pub where we met and there were QR codes on the table. And he said, like, eh, there is a stupid QR code. And, and if they really force me into using it, I will not get a beer here. I won't do anything. I won't eat or drink anything. I hate these QR codes. And then I realized, yes, of course, if you do not have a smartphone with a QR code reader with you, you will not be able to see the menu. I mean, the entire story ended up, totally different solutions they had paper menus they brought us the paper menus and so, the, so there was no need of the qr code that was probably left over from from uh, different phases of the pandemic when there were no paper menus allowed and so they still had these stickers with the qr codes on on the tabletop with smartphones you can buy tickets um, I, I will get into an airplane tomorrow and i have my boarding pass with me on my smartphone and Wonder, wonder, miracle, miracle. You can communicate with a smartphone. So there is a lot of, lot of positive things uh, in this artifact called, called smartphone. On the other hand, it has become a matter of identification for, for many. Are you an Apple user or are you, are you an Android slave? 
do you have the latest model or is this uh, an old thing that you have? Is it yesterday's model? And we, we depend. We have a smart, strong smartphone addiction, not only dependency, but addiction to smartphones. You, you won't leave the house without it. And if you do, if you forget it at home, you feel totally uncomfortable uh, if you don't carry the smartphone around with you. And in parts of Asia, particularly in Japan, and, and first of all in South Korea, there are camps, there are boot camps with uh, military drills in there to bring young, usually men, uh, away from their smartphone addiction because they cannot live without a screen anymore. So, again... Technology is more than just the artifact. And Harley-Davidson puts this down to the point. The, the creed of Harley-Davidson drivers ends with the sentence, We believe the machine you sit on can tell the world exactly where you stand. We believe the machine you sit on can tell the world exactly where you stand. I mean, that, that brings it down to the point. I mean, it's a piece of technology, but it tells the world where I stand if I sit on such a machine. I mean, that's, that's uh, uh, the highest level of uh, user experience that you can have, that you represent yourself, your personality through technology, into technology, by using technology. And again, you need to have a strong user focus. You need to know all about your users. You need to know everything about humans to design this technology and to make it a successful product. Number two. Let's move on to number two. It depends. That is the most common phrase used by UX and UI designers. So, I mean... I'm very often asked, what, what is the best HMI solution? Which is the best HMI that we can have? What, what is the optimum? What is the optimal HMI we can have? I mean, this question makes no sense. Technology is used by humans. And we all are different. We have different experiences. We have different expectations. We have different use cases. We have different contexts. So we all are different in different ways. And so we have different needs. And this is why we, we bring in different ideas. We bring in different competencies. So we have to have um, different solutions and we have to adapt the HMI to this. One example, I have designed in my professional life many, many HMI concepts for passenger cars. And... There is a wide range of users and there's a wide range of use cases in these passenger cars, but it is somehow limited. And a few weeks ago, one of my clients came to me and said, yeah, we want to design an HMI for a delivery van, for a van that is used by drivers to deliver goods in inner city areas. And these guys driving in there, they are professionals. They have to make money not by driving, but by delivering goods to, to clients. And they have to do this, and, and they have totally different ideas and needs and, and, uh, in, in this professional context. And, 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 and the crazy thing is, if these guys, if these delivery van drivers, park their delivery van in the evening and take their private car home, they get into the private cars and they are private HMI users. So they have a totally different use case, different context, so that changes. And 
To bring it down to the point, technology is always used in a context. You always have tasks. You have a different environment you use it in. And as tempting as it may seem, the vast majority of use cases, there will be no such thing as a one-size-fits-all solution. Every HMI that I have ever designed in my life is a compromise between different user groups, between different applications, between different contexts of use, between different use cases that you have. And so there is no one single easy answer which the HMI, the best HMI is. It always depends. It depends on the context, on the users, on yeah, the use cases that you have to to uh, that you have in the interaction with a, with a certain technology. And everyone, including bosses and clients, they all have an opinion about HMIs, about user experience. They all know that or believe that what they think, what they feel is the feeling and the knowledge of everyone, which is totally wrong. I mean, if somebody comes to me and says, hey, why, why don't you do it like this? Isn't it perfect like this? It will be the perfect solution probably for that specific individual. But it is not working for everyone. So our job as professionals like me is finding a solution that fits the entire user group to an essential degree. It will never be 100% fit, but uh, professionals in UX, UI design, they have an exact idea on what will work or not. And what will work or not, again, will depend on different things. And in order to find this well-fitting solution, knowledge about the user group and the context of use is central. I almost always start my project with an analysis, or at least um, I, I ask the clients if they have done an analysis on markets, on users, if they have developed personas, if they have found out use cases and scenarios and contexts of use. So all this background information is essential to find the best possible solution because those are the things it depends on. Yeah, and, and based on all this market information, people like me can find the best possible solution for a certain HMI. Number three. Usability is unsexy, but it is part of the user experience. I see very often that usability and user experience are used as synonyms, that they are used identical. Particularly the term UX and user experience is used much more often than it should be. Very often usability is named user experience, probably because it sounds cooler, it's experience, it has the user in it. And usability is always a bit dry, it's always a bit unsexy. Fact is, both terms are defined in ISO 9241. Usability is defined as the ease of use, and user experience is defined as the emotional part of the interaction, and basically the fun of use. It is a bit dry, usability. It can, measured, can be measured relatively well, like font sizes, colors, contrasts. All those are easy to measure things, and usability tests are also uh, a bit complex, but not real rocket science. 
So you will get a lot of data about this. User experience opposed to that is more the creative part, the graphic part. It's more emotional in that. And this is why it seems more sexy to many of the developers. Another difference is, difference is usability refers to the car interaction. So turning on a system, using it for the first time, initial use, and then you may have a long-term use, analysis, and that's it. User experience describes the entire contact between a human and a technology from discovering it, maybe in the internet, on a website, or in a magazine, in an advertisement, um, to um, the purchasing of the product, the ownership of the product, and then at the end, uh, the disposal. So the entire contact between a user and a product defines the user experience. And it is heavily influenced by the brand, for example, the communication of the company. So there are uh, brands out there that are so strong, that are so overwhelming, that even with a poor usability, you will get a positive user experience in it. One example is this uh, electric car company out of the US that is very much into focus. From, from a usability point of view, it is okay-ish. It's, it's not really good. But people love it, and people have a great experience in this. And a lot of that is the communication. A lot of that is the... The, the personality of the CEO is, is the brand strategy, the communication of the brand, of the cars, and all that uh, uh, yeah, overwhelms uh, the user and, and covers the poor usability and, and still creates a positive user experience. But without a good usability, there is no good user experience. We talk about accessibility, utility, value, so everything, all these come through a good usability. So it is maybe a bit dry, but it is core if you want to create a positive user experience with your product. Number four, be flexible. Allow circular thinking and working, but drill it down to the results. When I work on a project, whether it is a more strategic project, an analytical project, then I will have to deliver a report, maybe a couple of 80 pages or slide set with 200 slides, telling my clients how HMI will work in his context, how what the next steps will be. So th those are the strategic things that I work. Or if I make a concept development, I also have to deliver one day. There needs to be a couple of wireframes, a description, a menu tree, a technology description, maybe even technology suppliers that you need. So all this is something that you can get and I need to deliver this result on a certain day. There are various processes that will lead you to good user experiences. And I mean, most of them are called user-centered design processes. It's a, which is a rather, rather generic term. It's an umbrella term that describes summarizes many different design processes that have the user in focus. And some of them are linear and some of them are more circular. 
And the problem with the, the I experience with the circular processes is that people easily find the entry, but they don't find the exit. And this is what I'm saying. You need to deliver something one day. One example of a design thinking process that is a pretty complex thing and contains a lot is design thinking. So there is another episode in the Human Technology Podcast, uh, something like three, four months ago, I think I did it, on design thinking, which focuses on design thinking. It is a philosophy, it is a process, and it's also a toolbox for technology development, for user-centered development, for uh, user-focused uh, development. And you get pretty cool products out of design thinking usually. And But, I mean, it's a lot of effort. It is uh, not easy to do. But you get cool products out of it. And there are three, three major processes in this one. one. One is the double diamond, which is a more or less linear process. You open up in the beginning by collecting information. You put on the, use of your sho the shoes of your user, not the use of your shoesers. No, you put on the shoes of your users. You think about their problems. You talk with them about their problems. You do not think about solutions. You just collect information on what the things are that are really worrying these people. And then once you have collected enough, you drill it down, you make a synthesis to find out, okay, these are the two, three, four, five major points that we need to think about, that we need to find a solution, and then we can make human lives better. And then you do the same with the ideas, you open it up, create many ideas, and you drill it down to, to a prototype, to a concept that you deliver. So that is a linear process that you have. Then there is the microcycle, which is a circular process, um, you circle around this one a couple of times and then you move on to the next step and you do it again. Um, again, there's a circular part and then there is the macro cycle, which is a linear waterfall kind of process where you move forward once you have done something, you do it. So you see, there is not one thing and I've discussed this lately. This is why I'm talking about this one so much uh, with, with, a, with a colleague. And she was asking, hey, why are you losing these linear processes? We have this agile, circular thing. And I said, yes, of course, we will have those components. But at the end of the day, we also need a linear thing because we need to have a delivery. At the end, we, we're going to start one at one point in time and we need to deliver at, at another point in time. And in between, we need to do something and we can allow circular thinking, we can allow circular acting. But at the end of the day, we need to drill it down to a result. Point number five, testing. We are all professionals, but we can also fail. We can be wrong. And very often we do not see the details that make a good solution or a bad solution. Very often, because we miss the details, I mean, we start with a very generic concept and then drill it down to a detailed concept. And every now and then we find out, hmm, yeah, we forgot something here or there. And if we confront our users with this, if we ask our users, if we do various tests and studies, then at the end of the day, we will have, uh, yeah, we will get information about what we missed in this, in this, in this context. 
Very often I told you about this context that if I go to clients and said, hey, do you have some market analysis? Do you have user analysis? Do you know your user groups? Very often the the information or context information, some, some of them is missing. You get a rough description, you get a rough persona, you get yeah, information and they believe it's complete, it's good. And maybe I believe it as well. And then when, when we have the first user, I'll find out, okay, there is a special use case we haven't, thought of or we haven't asked for i mean that that's the big thing if you if you do a um a study if you make a focus group or an interview and you do not ask for a certain thing you won't get an answer on this one and so you yeah need to reflect your work on with your users to find out okay what where where am, am i missing details where where do i need more information about context that we have so it should be tested. Your HMI solution, your technology should be tested regularly during the development. In the early stages, focus groups, bring in people, ask them, discuss with them, make benchmark tests. Probably the product that you will have will not be the very first of its kind. There are navigation systems out there. There are smartphone apps out there. There are smart home apps out there. There are TVs out there. And I mean, your colleagues may have had good ideas. Maybe they had bad ideas. And you can find this out with benchmark analysis or benchmark testing that you do. You can test with your users in early stages with pencil and paper, uh, paper and pencil prototypes. You can maybe use your lo-fi prototypes. Or if you move on with the development, you can use usability studies with uh, more elaborated prototypes to get more detailed information later on. And you need to do this all the time because I mean, you can test at the very end of the development, but then everything is fixed and every change that you make will be very difficult. It will take a lot of time and it will be very, very expensive. So the late tests that you do, they set the basis. First of all, you need them to ensure your quality to know, all right, I have done the right things over my development, but you also uh, use this knowledge for the next generation, for a software update, for, for the second version of whatever you do. Then you can use the uh, 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 usability testing results that you did late in the development phase. Your early tests, there you can have an easy and cheap influence on the entire system. You can raise quality enormously uh, with easy, easy and, and cheap things if you do it early and in the beginning. And the measurement of more usability-oriented parameters, um, that is comparably easy. Like time to completion, like uh, success rates, like the system usability scale. So there's about a dozen I could name right away um, on different levels of, of, of the measurement parameters to measure usability. For user experience, I'm only aware of two or three more or less scientific, validated, well-designed tools that you can use. But you need to apply at least one of those to know where you are if you want to design a product. At the end, it is very simple. Talk to your future users. Find out what they are. And there are these people saying, yeah, there's this uh, 
quote from Henry Ford saying, if I had asked my users, they would have wanted faster horses. Yes, of course. Your users will tell you that they will need faster horses. And it's our job as UX designers to bring that to a more generic level and say, okay, what do they mean with this? What is the problem they want to solve with faster horses? Probably they want to limit the time they spend in a vehicle. They, they want to, to make the travel time between A and B as short as somehow possible. And then it's our task to think, okay, uh, is faster horses the only solution? Or can I maybe use a combustion engine or an electric engine uh, or a jet engine to move people even faster from A to B instead of trying to breed faster horses? So your users will not tell you in any of these testing procedures and any of these interviews of focus groups what the solution is. They will talk about what their problem is. They will talk about what their use cases, the context of use are. And this brings us back to, to the earlier points we had here. Uh, this is what they want to talk about. And, and it's our task. It's, it's what we need to do as technology developers to bring that into a product, into a technology, into reality. One final remark on the testing. It is often forgotten in the project planning. So you do your project, you do your developments, and then you find out, oh, well, why not making a usability test now? And then you show up at the project leaders and they say, oh, we don't have a budget for this. No, we don't have the time for this. We cannot do this. I don't know why, but this in project planning, usability testing, user experience testing is very often forgotten. And then you don't have the time and you don't have the budget. So plan for it early, put it into the project plans and reserve a certain amount of budget for these tests. All right, that was it more or less for today. Let's summarize it. I talked about five different ways to achieve a good user experience. Number one, focus on humans, focus on users. Number two, it depends. It's all about context. Number three, usability is unsexy, but part of the user experience. Four, be focused, but flexible. Allow circular thinking and acting but drill it down to a result on time. Number five, do testing. Test, test, test. If you liked this podcast, please recommend it to some of your network peers. The more people listen to the Human Technology Podcast, the higher I'm ranked on the respective publication platforms, and the even more people get the chance to listen to this podcast and get their inspirations from me. That's it for today. Thank you for spending time with me. I hope you were able to take something with you and do something for yourself that will be forever. For an ongoing exchange, you will find me on LinkedIn and on my websites, peter-rusker.com and beyond-hmi.de Write me an email on the podcast at 
beyond-hmi.de. Tune in next time. Take care and stay healthy.